Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. Hope you're well. This is another episode of our 100 Redraft series where we're talking to every single team's general manager and we're going to be talking about what inspired their process, their strategy and their team selections as we redrafted every single side in 100 from scratch. So just to briefly fill you in, if you aren't already familiar with the concept, we basically emptied every single team and started from scratch. We pre-selected two local icons per team and from then on end, we just followed 100 draft rules exactly as they happened in the original draft back in 2019. Um, and now we have eight teams worth of brand new squads. And today we're talking to Ed Farrer, who coached the Welsh Fire in this wonderful draft. Ed, how are you doing? I'm very well, mate. And may I just say, I'm very happy that we started things completely from scratch because given I've got the Welsh Fire, if we'd done anything else, I'd have been screwed. Um, because the Welsh Fire were, I think, the possibly the funniest side in the 100, but definitely the worst the worst put together. It was a complete mess from start to finish. Uh, and I'm very happy to uh, have set a cultural reset of this team. I have literally changed every single thing. I have gone down to the to the core really of what I want the Welsh fire to be uh, and started from the started from scratch basically. So I'm excited to go through it with you. Absolutely. Now I'm gonna kick this off by echoing Gary Lineker. I was watching Match of the Day the other night. He was interviewing <laughs> Stephen Gerrard, recently appointed Aston Villa manager. And Lineker asked him, what's your coaching philosophy when you're building a team? And Gerard, without a hint of irony, said, how long have you got? Which I thought was a very nice answer to a very good question. But I'm going to echo that question to you. What is your philosophy when you're building a team? Well, thankfully, I, I don't have that answer from Stephen Gerrard, because unlike Gerrard, I have actually defined my philosophy in the Welsh Fire's new team ethos. Um, because the Welsh Fire is so bad, I know that everyone else just spent their time focusing on cricketers and players and tactics nerds i however have done a cultural reset so i genuinely and i'm not lying i spent a long period before we did the draft creating the welsh fire team ethos it is three words and it is in welsh would you like to hear it i would love to hear okay i can't pronounce it so here's google translate doing it I mean, it just sounds like, a, I don't know how accurate that pronunciation is. It's quite hard to tell. I don't speak Welsh. but um. Well, look, I mean, what it basically is, and to translate it from the original Welsh, it is we breathe fire. Um, and I kept it in Welsh, obviously, because we're keeping the Welsh heritage, but we breathe fire really is the ethos of my side. I wanted us, and uh, as well as this team ethos, Charlie, I had three power words, uh, which are Frenig, Pueris and Bicleoth, uh, which roughly translates to ferocious, powerful and intimidating. So what my team <laughs> ethos and my um, three core words really boils down to is I wanted the Welsh fire to be an intimidating side. We play at the Sophia Gardens where you have really short straight boundaries and in general really destructive hitters down the ground are really, really tough to bowl to. And also at Sophia Gardens, it's really tough to bowl spin. So I really wanted to focus my team ethos on having really brutal top-order hitters, some searing quick bowlers, some genuine quick bowlers who took wickets, and then having some really intimidating people to bowl to. The kind of players that you just you just know on their day could completely take you down. 
to summarize, I wasn't really interested in the Laurie Evans of the world. I was interested in the really powerful hitters. So that's ultimately what the team ethos boiled down to. And I think I started pretty well, obviously, with having my uh, test player being Johnny Bairstow, uh, who hopefully won't stay on the test side too much longer, so I want to keep him forever. Uh, and then, obviously, had my local icons as well, which I was pretty happy with. Yeah, so talk me through your icon picks. Who did you go for? So I went for Benny Howell and Will Smead. Now, there were lots of decisions that you could make here, given the catchment area had Somerset, and I could have got Tom Banton. But I just decided, given that Tom Banton's in a kind of weird place in form and I'd have had to go and really get him higher up uh, I thought that if I didn't take him as my local icon he might be available for me later in the draft now it turns out he wasn't but that didn't particularly bother me um, so I went with Benny Howell in round six and Will Smead in round eight Will Smead I think is a really quality player obviously had a great hundred this year uh, for the Birmingham Phoenix really broke through and I do think that he's just one of those players who I don't think is flash in the plan I think he has a lot of quality and a lot of class so very excited to have him and then Benny Howell in round six just a really unique player and I think at and again, at Sophia Gardens where spin isn't necessarily going to be a big factor all the time or it shouldn't necessarily be big factor having a who can bowl a lot of slow balls who can stick in the pitch it can be tough to get away in that regard uh even though benny still thinks himself as a hybrid spinner he isn't really so i think just having that kind of unique bowler uh, a tough place to bowl so Gons, i think was really great and also benny is just quality and he could probably bat seven or eight for me so it gives me a lot of flexibility yeah, absolutely. I think those are two really good picks. Like you say, you had a bit of a choice there. Tom Banton would have been a very appealing option. But I think going for Smead, you have someone who I think form is on his side. He does feel slightly more you know, in favour at the moment. And I think mm. they're both very good players. But I've heard it said that a lot of the people who work at the Somerset Academy reckon that Smead may well be possibly the finest batter they have created in a very long time. And I, I can see that being true. I think you got two very good picks there. Absolutely. And I do think also it's the case that I'd have had to take Tom Banton four rounds earlier than Will Smith. Yes. So I think just ultimately, if I think Will Smith's really good, and I know I could probably get Tom Banton if he falls to me, just I think on a you know, on a theoretical level, that opens up more options in the draft. And the fact that Benny Howell was round six and Will Smith was round eight meant I could go really high end uh, with my other picks. Uh, I think it created a lot more flexibility whether i used that flexibility correctly can be discussed but there was a lot more flexibility so i think i started very well yeah i agree now we'll get to that flexibility conversation later i'm sure but let's start with your first two picks in the draft in the 100k bracket round one sakib mahmoud and round two george garton the pair of young english seamers and possibly two of the more eye-catching selections i reckon in the 100k bracket but two very good players i mean talk me through your thinking here yeah i think ultimately my thinking was charlie that i wanted to get really high-end local talent into the side and um, there were two players above sakima mood in my draft board they were rashid khan and andre russell i was picking um fifth however so they just weren't going to be available for me so sakib and george garton were the third and fourth players on my on my list and what i talked about in my team ethos we breathe fire i wanted genuine quick bowlers Sakamood is a genuine quick bowler who i think has a lot of quality it might have been a slight reach but i really wanted to build a domestic core and that as you'll see is really what i wanted to go for in this this whole team selection. I really targeted high-class domestic players. And Sakamud offered that for me in the fifth pick. And George Garden also offered that in round two. 
I think George Garton specifically is such a rare player in the fact that he bowls pretty quick, left arm, swings the ball as well, and then also can bat at seven for you as a destructive left-hander potentially. I Honestly, I'd have been happy taking him with that fifth overall pick. Honestly, I think if I'd had the third overall selection and you know a couple of players were off the board or Saka Mahmood was a local icon, I'd have been happy taking George Garton. Um, so I was really delighted with that. And I think what I got was you know, two really quick, really rare talents, because you don't get a lot of high-end quick bowlers in English domestic cricket. And so I wanted to go after them. And ultimately, I think uh, I'm pretty happy with it. Absolutely. I think that's a really canny selection, actually. I I think that the domestic core strategy is one that has seen a lot of success in franchise T20 cricket around the globe. I think it's a very, very shrewd idea from you. And as far as building your team goes, you started off with two really quick, really potentially very high quality indeed seam bowlers. So already your team is starting to take a very interesting shape. And certainly they both fit in your ethos of breathing fire very, very well. Well, let's move on to round three and four. Though. In the 80k bracket, you're going for another English player uh, in Daniel Lawrence uh, and your first overseas pick in Glenn Phillips. Uh, now, this is interesting here. I think Glenn Phillips has obviously been a very, very fine player and I don't think anybody would begrudge you picking him here. Dan Lawrence, I think, may have raised a few eyebrows in at the 80k mark. Um, what's your thinking behind Big Dan? So my thinking was that I really wanted to target, again, high-end domestic players. And what I really wanted in this pick was Will Jacks. I really covered to Jacks. In fact, he was. I, I had a big debate over whether to take him or Garton. So I think he's an incredibly destructive player. And I think his off-spin bowling is so valuable. So Will Jacks, he was really coveted by me. He went the pick before to the Oval Invincible. So I think caught on to my domestic um, hoovering talent idea. Um, so I went down Lawrence, and I think ultimately my thinking was, I think people will see this as a reach, but... I don't necessarily I think both you and me agree that Dan Lawrence should potentially be in the conversation for England's white ball sides. I think he's a really, again, a really class player. I don't think he's a player who is just smash and grab and has, you know, big, big muscles and hits it. He's a proper player. And I think a properly talented player who could go on to be, I think, one of England's best players in the international scene. I think he's got that level of upside. So what I thought, again, was, okay... You know, I, I might not get the top overseas players that everyone else gets, but if I have Sakamood, who I think could become England's lead seamer, George Garn, who's left arm quick, bowls 90 mile an hour and can bat, and then Dan Lawrence on top of that, who I think is really class and can be very destructive, and he's a very good T20 player as well, whilst it might not get the best team right now, and I could maybe get a better player than Dan Lawrence in the overseas bracket, I'm getting three unbelievably talented English players who I think will probably have gone to represent for England for a long, long time. That's going to open up so much for me. And I think that domestic core is really what I wanted to target. I think that's a very good strategy. Maybe the one thing I will point out is when you look at the players who you could have had, who are mm. also English batters, I mean, Sam Billings goes directly after, and then directly after that, Tom Bantam gets selected. Now, yeah. If it was me and I was looking for Jackson, I couldn't select Jackson. I would have probably gone Banton as you know the next best option in that role. So what about Lawrence? Do you reckon is more appealing than some of those Billings Banton options? He interests me because he is a middle order player as well. I think Tom Banton is an opener and always will be an opener. I think the openers are. I think I could. I, I felt like I could get two really good opening batters to play alongside Johnny Bester, who I already had. And 
Uh, I ultimately felt that I think Dan Lawrence, his middle order ability, his ability to really go at it in the middle overs and to attack spin, especially in the middle overs, is very rare. I also just, just think that maybe it's just because Tom Banton, I've got a bit of recency bias, Tom Banton hasn't been in great form. I just really felt that Dan Lawrence would offer a lot, especially because, again, he can be so destructive down the ground. And look, I know Tom Banton's a very good player again, but I just felt that the ability to have a middle order player like Dan Lawrence in an era where everyone bats up top Really intrigues me. And I, I just love Dan Lawrence. I wanted him on my side. Well, you know, it's a fair, very fair pick, in my opinion. I think he's quite a unique batter. And I think combined with Glenn Phillips, that's a very nice start in terms of your batting. Let's move on to round five and round six then. Obviously, in round six, the 60K bracket, you've got Benny Howell, your icon player. Um, your round five pick is another batter, a very different mold to the previous two. It's Ross Whiteley, now of Hampshire. Now, this is an interesting one for me because I like Ross Whiteley, but my immediate thought when you picked him here was might be a bit of a reach. Yes, I would agree with you on that. Glenn Phillips for me in round four was a player who I really wanted because I think he's going to be really dominant on the scene for a long time. So I thought, okay, I've got him, I've got Lawrence, I've got Bairstow. What I really want now is a really destructive finisher. And I felt like that's something I really wanted, especially, again, with my ethos of we breathe fire, I wanted a really destructive player at the bottom of the order. And I thought, okay, let's get Ross Whiteley. And I kind of panicked on the day, I think, because I felt like I was on a bit of a roll and I got too confident in myself. And I thought, tell you what, I think I can play this game and sweep up some really good domestic talent. Um, My board did not say to take Ross Whiteley. My board said to take Onrik Nohaya. He's a fabulous player, and ultimately, I wish I'd taken Onrik Norhea here. Uh, I, re- I, re- I really coveted Norhea, um, and he was higher than Whiteley on my board, and I wanted him as, again, we breathe fire. I wanted a really quick bowler, um, but I felt that given I'd got Mahmood and Garten, maybe I could wait for that overseas seamer, and I think ultimately that was a mistake. And I do love Ross Whiteley. He is on the older side of things. He's a left-hander, which I didn't have at that point, apart from Garten. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that was a mistake, but I, I do like Ross Whiteley and he did play into my ethos, but yeah, it was a reach and I just decided to ignore my very well-constructed draft board on the day, which was a mistake, I think. Well, you know, we've all been there. I think there's a few of us who think similarly, but some of our selections, I think the reason I wanted to highlight Whiteley's selection as being a curious one is when you see your round seven selection, the 48k Jordan Thompson, yes. a player who, with the bat, offers you a pretty similar skill set in a pretty similar role, I think, as a hard-hitting finisher. Now, obviously, as you said, Nohea would have made probably a little bit more sense, and I think especially with having Thompson there, because I think Thompson covers a lot of the ground that Whiteley does, personally speaking. Yeah. I think the thing of the Jordan Thompson selection was that I really wanted Jordan Thompson. I think he is an incredibly valuable player. And the reason why I picked him as well as Whiteley is I genuinely think Jordan Thompson can bat three if I wanted him to. I'm of the opinion that Jordan Thompson can bat anywhere between three and seven. And I think he can be really destructive as a pinch hitter as well. And I like the idea of moving him up and down the order because at that point I had Lawrence Phillips and Bairstow. It's quite right hand heavy. And obviously I went to get Whiteley, but I felt, well, I really want to get a guy who can contribute as a left hander with a bat and offer a bit of variety. And I'm just such a big fan of Thompson. that I really wanted him. There's again, it's a domestic core thing. Um, I just feel like John Thompson, he just picked, got picked up by the Hobart Hurricanes, by the way, in the bash. I just think he's so destructive and he really fit my ethos. And I really wanted him. But I, I do agree. Again, this is the thing. I think if we took Onrik Norhea and put him in this side rather than Ross Whiteley, we'd be much happier. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Jordan Thompson, really good signing in my opinion. Though I know he was a wild card uh, in the first season of 100. Yeah. So 48k, you think, mm, bit of a stretch. However, I don't think it is at all. I think his skill set is so valuable. His intent for the bat is crazy. He's an absolute monster. His bowling, I don't think he's quite there yet, but I think he has potential no. to be better than it is. But to be honest, just his batting alone makes it worth it, in my opinion. So I think that's a very, very good pick in the 48k yeah. bracket. Uh, of course, alongside him in the 48k bracket, you have Will Smead as an icon yeah. player. Yeah, and then there's a two. But what I say about John Thomas as well, by the way, and here's the thing that I think elevates him is that we talk about strike rate a lot, right? Across his T20 career, that's 40 matches now. Um, John Thompson's strike rate is 167. That's not a guy who scores quickly as he hits a 140. That's a guy who is electric with the bat. And I think that is ultimately why I felt that getting him was important because we can talk about how destructive a player is. I think that shows you how quality he is ultimately. Uh, and he's hit a six every game he's played um, basically at this point in his career. And he's, that boundary count is going up and up and up and up. So I think that's what really excites me. Uh, I think he he can be a really great player for me. And then, again, it's about young domestic talent. I now have Will Smead. I now have John Thompson. I now have Daniel Lawrence. Now, those are guys who I think I can build a side around. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really exciting core, actually. Jordan Thompson, very exciting player. You've got some very good quality domestic options here. Moving down to round nine and ten in the 40K bracket, I think we have two guys at the complete opposite ends of the spectrum in Adam Live and mm. Blake Cullen. Um, I think they're both very canny picks for different reasons, um, but I'm sure you can describe the thinking a lot better than I can. Yes, again, and this was uh, this was conducted before a lot of the details about Yorkshire Cancer Cricket Club came out. Um, uh, ultimately, I think we kind of have to leave that at the door because we picked it and we're not going to do the whole redraft to come because it's too much effort. Um, but I felt with Adam Live, and you know Charlie, I and mean, we would take other things out of it. I've been a big fan of Adam Lythe for a long time. Uh, I think he's a fantastic cricketer, especially in T20 cricket. Uh, He really goes at it. He's a destructive player of quick bowling. um, And I think it opens up so many options for me because I think ultimately he's a role player in the side. Smead and Bairstow will open for me. And if Bairstow goes to the test side, Lythe might come in. If I decide that I want to put Lythe in the running order and Will Smead drops down to three and I change around my side order a little bit and a life can go up there and I just felt like he had a really bad season in the 100 um, this year because of Darren Lehman um, because they decided to put together the Bold Brothers uh, Chris Lynn and Adam Live and whoever thought that putting two really destructive pace hitters who cannot play spin together was a good idea I do not know I think Adam Live isn't the worst player of spin but when you put him next to a guy who also cannot play spin it's just not going to work, is it? Especially given he wasn't in great form anyway. So I felt like, okay, I'll take him in round nine because he can be really destructive. I think he's a really high-class player. And I think he just opened up a lot of options for me. So I like that. And again, it's a left-hander at the top of the order. So gives me variety. And I do think he'll come back stronger now he's not playing alongside the Bold Brothers, um, which I think was just hilariously bad um that was dreadful and then yeah with Blake Cullen I felt like um because I hadn't got my third seamer at that point we should have been on Rook Nohaya I hadn't got my third seamer I wanted to go for a really high-end uh young domestic seamer because I think what we talked about in the past when we've talked about draft strategy and we've talked about what is a rare skill set in England it's be, it's genuine good quick bowlers when you look some you know a lot of bowlers who maybe aren't that good went above him Matty Potts went above him 
Um, Ollie Stone went above him. Brad Wheel went above him. Um, I think Matt Milnes went straight after him. I mean, Sam Cook's in the same round as him. Yeah, those are the kind of class of players that are around him. And I actually think Blake Collin has a considerable upside. He bowls what high 80s. He's tall, gets a lot of bounce. And I think that will play well at Sophia Gardens because he does not fit Lords. Because Lords, you have those stupid boundaries. If you bowl to anyone who can play the pull shot, you're going to go for runs if you are Blake Collin because that's who he is. I think with those long square boundaries at Sophia Gardens and those short or straight ones, he offers something really exciting to me. Uh, and so I think he's got so much upside. I really wanted Bryden Cass. I really wanted Bryden Cass, who was selected the pick before me. Um, I wouldn't have taken Adam Life if Bryden Cass was there, because I think Bryden Cass is the next big thing in T20 cricket. We just haven't seen it yet. And so ultimately I thought, okay, well, I'll take Blake Collar now, because I think that's a rare skill set. And um you know, I don't think we've seen the best of Blake Collin yet. I think we've seen we've seen moments. And we were critical of him during the 100, because he didn't bowl particularly well and we didn't think he was ready. And I stand by that. I don't think he was ready. I think he will be ready, though. So I'm happy with this pick. Yeah, I think that's a fair selection. We were critical of his selection as a wildcard because for all the talent he clearly possessed, he was also very green at the time. Very green. And I think his record shows that we were probably right to suggest that because he's been very expensive in his short career to date. But like you say, I think he clearly has the talent and the skill set to eradicate that from his game. Uh, and I think, like you say, when you look at the players, the seamers who were being drafted around the same time, I think with Cullen, you've got a good bargain and a good player with considerable upside there. Yeah. I don't know if he would necessarily be starting every game for me, but as a squad option, I think he's a very, very good one. Yeah, and I think, again, it's the same thing as I've just looked at them and thought, okay, what works at Sophia Gardens? I really wanted quick bowlers. I think he can be that guy. And I just think if you go into if you go into a franchise from the beginning with Saka Mahmood, George Garton, Blake Cullen, that's a really exciting domestic attack. And again, he's tall, that's a lot of bounce. That works at Sophia Gardens. That works at Cardiff. So, um, no, I, I like that selection. I think it will pay dividends. I think so, too. It's interesting now, looking at the players you've drafted so far, because there are two things that are very clearly missing from yes. your squad that other other squads may well have had sorted by now. Um, and you address one of those issues very, very clearly here by selecting two spinners, one after another, and both of whom played for the Manchester Originals uh, in last season's 100. They are Tom Hartley the left arm spinner and leg spinner Calvin Harrison, both of whom in the 32K bracket. Yes. Now, Ed, obviously at this point, you're thinking I need spinners. Well, yes and no. <laughs> um, because if you look at my side so far, the two front line spinners before these selections were Dan Lawrence and Glenn Phillips. So obviously I needed one. <laughs> but look, as you know, I, as I've said, I, I, I'm very focused on my team ethos. I'm very focused on what works at Sophia Gardens. So Figon's a really tough place to bowl spin. You have to either have a really high quality option or you just kind of have to accept that your spinners aren't going to be the focal point of your side and you have to get guys who are, you can do a job. And that's also what I felt. I felt that the spinners I really wanted, you know, the K's Armads of the world, um, the, the really high-end guys, Rashid Khan, they were gone. And I didn't want to reach, especially when players weren't going. And I did have play a bit of a waiting game because I wanted... Tom Hartley I just didn't I was just waiting for him to drop because no one was selecting him and I was amazed because Tom Hartley had a fantastic 100 I have no idea how he got to round 11 
he was selected after I feel really mean doing this again. He was selected after Ed Bernard, Aaron Lilly, Sam Cooke, Brandon Glover. I don't know how he fell this hard, but he had a fabulous hundred. I mean, look what he's done for the Manchester Originals and look what he's done for Lancashire. He's a left armour. Uh, he bowls well in the power play. He doesn't give you much, very tight lines. And I kind of think that that's what I like. I like having the option in the power play. I like having a guy who's not, who doesn't go for runs. I think that's important. Again, it's a Figons where you really do go for a lot of runs. Um, his economy rate in T-Sweet Cricket is just under seven. I know he plays at Lancashire, but I, I, I am a big fan of him. Um, we, uh, we, we've talked about it before. I, I just do think he's a very good player. And so ultimately, Given that I knew I was going to, and we'll get to my main spinner shortly, I knew I was still going to pick up a main spinner. And I knew I had that trump card up my sleeve. Uh, I knew that getting him as a secondary option um, was a good good point here. And I was happy with that. And then with Calvin Harrison, whilst I say, again, spin wasn't going to be the focal point of the side um, for the Welsh Fire, I just thought he was too good to pass up in round 12. I, I, I like Calvin Harrison. I'm not a huge Calvin Harrison fan, but he bowls leg spin to a decent standard. And he can bat to a decent standard. And in round 12, where again, I cannot emphasize this point enough, Ed Bernard was drafted before Calvin Harrison. I think this was a good value pick. Yeah, I have to agree, actually. I think in terms of the position you're in at a draft and looking to plug a hole, I don't think you could really have done a great deal better. Tom Hartley really fascinates me. He's a guy we had in the podcast. Go and listen to the episode if you want to. It's a really good listen. It's a great he listen. Very op- it is. He very, very openly and candidly admits that he's not really interested in getting wickets at all. He doesn't care, quite frankly. All he wants to do is keep the run rate down and be as economical as possible. Now, at Sophia Gardens, I reckon that's something that's very, very valuable because as you say, bowling spin there is no mean feat. Taking wickets as a spinner probably isn't going to be your best tactic necessarily because you go and try to bowl as wicket taking balls. Chances are you'll be hit straight for six. That's just how it's going to work very often, mm. especially if you're the caliber of spinner you're probably going to find at this stage of the draft. So emphasizing the defensive aspects of a spinner, I think makes perfect sense. And chasing someone like Hartley, who, like you, I'm surprised was still available this late into the draft, is very, very canny. Harrison, too, you saw a package. So I think you've done pretty well there in terms yeah. of realizing what you needed to sign. Yeah. And the big, the big thing I will say, and I, I brought this stat out in your podcast, The Birmingham Phoenix, as well. I did my research into who has performed well as a spinner um, at Sphere Gardens. Surprise, surprise, not many of them do particularly well, even though they're playing Glamorgan. The guy who has had a lot of success there is Roloff van der Merwe, who is a left-arm spinner, who is a defensive guy, bowls really full, gets in the block hole. Now, he's a different bowler than Hartley, because Hartley's taller, but similar kind of deal. And I just think that Hartley, again, suits Sophia Gons in the sense that he bowls full and he's tall and he's tough to hit down the ground. Um, so I, I, I like the pick, uh, and I think, I think here's another thing. I have Sakib, I have Garton, I have some high-end bowlers, but then I have lots of options in the likes of Blake Cullen, in Tom Hartley, in Calvin Harrison. They give me options. They give me my next two picks, which we'll get onto now, are bowlers as well. I think I just have such a myriad of options that ultimately something is going to work. Yeah, for sure. I think you have a lot of flexibility there with regard to your bowling attack, and I think that's always going to be useful. As you said, the last two picks in time now, and... <laughs> I mentioned before that there are two things that this side is clearly missing. Now, one of them has been addressed to the spinners, but the other one is 
overseas players. Currently, you only have one, and that's Glenn Phillips in round four for 80k. Um, now, Ed, I will let you introduce these mentioned picks because you are the only person in the draft to have taken this particular strategy. <laughs> um, I genuinely think it's quite an interesting one, but I will yes. let you explain in full. Well, so we talked about this at the time of the 2019 draft, and I've talked about this a lot. One of the biggest market inefficiencies of the 2019 draft was the fact that play, teams just reached for their overseas players for no reason. They'd pick them well above their market price, even though all the other teams had picked their overseas really high. Nathan Coulter-Nile went in like round five, even though the Trent Rockets were one of, I think, one of two teams who had an overseas slot left. And they just picked him two or three rounds before he could have, just because they decided to, and they reached for him. And no one noticed that you could just wait for your overseas players, because no one, everyone else picked them really high. And, and one of the things was, who was the best player? Who's one of, arguably the best quick bowler in last year's competition? It was Adam Mill. He was base price. Was, he didn't have a base price in the first draft. You could have taken him with the last overall pick if you just waited. If the Trent Rockets had take, not taken Nathan Cotton-Nile and got another player, they could have taken Adam Milne with literally the last pick of the draft. And there you are, you could have had him. And, and here's the thing, we love Adam Milne. He was the seventh overall pick in this draft. And so I felt that, and my plan was, my plan wasn't to have two overseas players, let me be clear about that. My plan was to wait until my last pick to be an overseas player because I felt that there was value on these un, un, undrafted guys with no base price. I always feel there's value, especially I felt there's value as a spinner. Now, as I said earlier, my plan should have been to take Andrew Norhea. Also, I was also really interested in Lockie Ferguson, who went with the pick before me in round four. So if Lockie Ferguson hadn't gone to the Manchester Rangers with the pick before me, he'd have been my pick in round four. That threw me a bit. I should have taken Andrew Norhea, but I didn't in round five. So I was left really with two overseas options because I felt that I just would wait for the um, wait for the undrafted guys, the guys know base price after those two teams I really wanted to let went. Um, so my first pick here is Zaheer Khan, the Afghanistan left arm wrist spinner, who I think is a very talented bowler. I think he's the best no base price spinner available. He's a leg spinner. He's a left arm leg spinner. He's really rare. He turns it both ways. I think he's undervalued. Um, he didn't even make the Afghanistan T20 squad because they have so many options, but I do think he's a fantastic player. He does very well in the big bash. He had success here. Um, and he's just a bit different. He's quick. He's quick through the air. You could probably compare him to Rashid Khan a little bit, though he's not as good. He is quite bustly, turns it both ways, bowls it quite full at times and very quickly. But he does have a little bit about him. He can toss it up. He can turn the ball. I just think there's so much upside in that pick. Um, I was really excited. He was going to be my round 14 pick. And I was going to laugh at everybody. But because I missed out on Lockie Ferguson and Rick Norhea, who I really wanted, he was my round 13 pick. He was my round 14 pick. I now had an overseas slot just waiting for me. And I decided to fill it with uh, a quick bowler by the name of Mohammed Hasnain from Pakistan, which I think is the pick we're probably going to discuss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, before I start, I don't want to be in any way disrespectful to Hasnain, who I think has plenty of upside and very well may turn out to be a very, very good seamer one day. But... When you only have three overseas players per side and you're selecting Mohammed Hasnain, it, it interests me and it intrigues me because I don't think this was the plan. 
Well, no, it wasn't the plan, but I did actually think this through. I, I, there was a, there was going to be a case where if I picked a spinner up top and I got a spinner I really wanted up top, so here Carl would have been my pick, Mohamed Hasnain would have been. I had three names in mind for this seamer pick. I debated this. If there was, an, if there was none, if I got to round 14, I needed a seamer as my overseas, who would I pick? Three options. Uh, I had Naseem Shah. Pakistan, who I kind of regret not taking now, is even though I think Mohamed Hasnay is currently a better T20 bowler, I think Nassim Shah is just class and will be class in all formats. And I probably feel like I should have taken him. And the other one was Fazal Haq Faruqi. I'm sorry, a bit of a deep cut for you all, um, who has only played two career T20s, I think, at this point, um, who is my other option. And I just thought that it had played into my we breathe fire thing again. Mohamed Hasnay is really quick. He's really quick. And yes, he has gone for runs previously. But, and I will throw you back to the Pakistan versus England T20 series uh, this summer, uh, where he played alongside other players. And I think he probably would have been really good in the World Cup as well, by the way. But he played, um, I think, two of the T20s. I think he played the first two T20s in that series. Uh, And in the first game... Um, I think was the game, if you remember, where Liam Livingston made 103 or 43 deliveries. And Pakistan made 232 for six in that game at Trent Bridge. England responded with, you know, 201. If you look at the bowling attack that played that game for Pakistan, Imad Wazim went for 46 of his four, uh, four overs. Shaheen Sharafree went for 30 off his three. Harris Ralph went for 44 off his four. And Shadab Khan went for 52 off his three. Again, go to the England side of things, and you had some really high-quality players who struggled. Um, Sakamood went for over 40, as did Tom Curran, as did Matt Parkinson, Lewis Gregory, David Willey. They all went in the rounds. You look at the bowler who played well in that game, Mohamed Hasnain, four overs, 28 for one. Bowled some of the toughest overs, some of the best players, got Moe Nally out, showed the ability to bowl really quick, but also took pace off really nicely. And what was the performance? I was like, you know what? I know his record is not... He's not great, but I really do believe in him. Now, in the next game, he went for 51 runs off his four overs, but whilst that wasn't good, he also got both Joss Butler and Moeen Ali out, uh, and he got dropped for the next game. Uh, I, yeah, I know he struggled at, part, at times. I know he struggled across a T20 career a lot, but I think there's so much upside for a player who bowls that quickly and still has that, uh, that nous. And he hasn't bowled well since the draft. I think that's going to look bad. We did this draft a couple of months ago, and he hasn't bowled well since. He's had some injuries and stuff. But, but I do think there is a lot of upside in him as a player. And what I will turn to you here, Charlie, and we'll run through the 11 now, if that's all right with you. So I of think course. it will shine some light on why I think it's okay to take this punt. So please go ahead. Okay, so your lineup uh, dictated to me is as follows. And this is assuming everybody is available, so no England duty or international duty, etc. Johnny Bairstow, Will Smead, Glenn Phillips with the gloves, Dan Lawrence, Jordan Thompson at five, Ross Whiteley, George Garton, Benny Howell, Saki Mahmood, Mohamed Hazanin, and Zahia Khan. Okay, so I mean, we'll get on to the kind of 11 in general in a minute. I mean, I might move up the left-handers a bit, as you'll, you, as you can see, you know, the top four players are right-handers and the next three players are left-handers. So there'll be some flexibility in the lineup. Garton and Thompson might go up and down, depending on how it goes. But, but anyway, the reason I asked you to read out the 11 there is because my bowling attack is Garton, Howell, Mahmood, Hasnain, Zahir Khan. Those are my five bowlers. And I'm probably not going to get many overs from elsewhere. However, if we look at my reserves, we have Blake Cullen, Tom Hartley and Calvin Harrison. 
Charlie, I would say this to you. Do, I think we would both agree that George Carr and Benny Howell and Saka Mahmood are going to be absolutely class. Would you agree with that? And there's just no doubt. Absolutely. Okay. I think Zaheer Khan's going to be a very good player. Now, if he's, I think he could be very good. He could be good. He might be all right. I don't think he'll be dreadful. Would you? I mean, I think he's a decent pick. Um, so what I think we're saying there is, okay, what Ed Mohamed has name? He's the, he's the issue here. Well, what I would say to that is, okay, well, what are the chances of Mohamed Hasnain working out? Maybe it's not great. Okay, but what are the chances of Blake Cullen working out? What's the chances of Calvin Harrison working out? What are the chances of Tom Hartley working out? Only one of those four needs to play on the side. So as long as one of those four is bowling really well, it does not matter. Mohamed Hasnain doesn't have to play. If Blake Cullen outperforms him, great. I'll release him and get another player next year. Maybe Blake Cullen fills in that role. Maybe Tom Hartley fills in that role. Maybe Calvin Harrison fills in that role. It doesn't matter who does it. I just have so many options there with a lot of upside. One of them is going to work. And if one of them works, that bowling attack works, in my opinion. That's an interesting point. I can see it that way. I mean, obviously, there's no denying that at this point in time, if you had got Norkea in that position, things would be looking you know, a bit rosier. Yeah. But, of course, there's not really much point talking about that because this is what you have got and with that in mind I don't think it's particularly that bad a pick at all and I, I think not in a laugh at it because I think it is honestly a pretty reasonable pick I don't think it's quite as you know last minute oh man what do I do now it's not that kind of pick no. I, I think there is a rationale behind this pick and I can get behind it I, I like your reasoning and I think it has potential to be very exciting, mainly because T20 cricket and 100 cricket is a format that naturally favours the brave. It yeah. takes, it, it shines upon people who take risks. And this is a risk, but it's one that has the potential to work out very, very well indeed. So I respect you. It's a brave yeah. decision. And this is the one thing, and before you ask me for the strengths on the side, the one thing I would say is, obviously, if I had gone with my board and picked Onrik Norhea instead of Ross Whiteley and picked Tom Moores instead of... Mohammed Hasnain, I would be considerably happier. Let's just say that. However, I didn't do that. And that's something I learned from this experience. And I know this side could have been even better, which frustrates me, but I still think even though I didn't quite go by the draft board and therefore lost out because of that, you know, I still think it's a good side. Yeah. Do you know what? I agree. I think that's a fair point. And I agree with you. Obviously, I'm now for, as you mentioned, strengths and weaknesses. Where do you say areas that you really nailed? And where do you say areas that you might want to address if you did it again. So my domestic core, really clear, really strong. Will Smead, Daniel Lawrence, Jordan Thompson, George Garton, Sakin Mahmood. And then you add the likes of Blake Cullen, Tom Hartley, um, Benny Hill, Ross Whiteley. There's just, there's so much domestic talent there. Um, and then also I've got young overseas talent. Glenn Phillips is going to grow with the side. He's a fantastic player already. I really believe in Zahir Khan. Um, I think, you know, Afghanistan has so many good spinners. I do think he is really, really class. And I think there's a debate to have with who's the better left-arm wrist spinner in Afghanistan right now, him or Nor Ahmad. I, I think Zahig is slightly better right now. But but I just have that young core. And I think I can build with that moving forward. And I'm looking at this in a five-year plan, basically. Not just thinking, oh, who'll win me a game now? Maybe I'm not the best side right now. But if Will Smead, Dan Lawrence, Jordan Thompson, Sakamu, George Garn, they all play up to their potential, I'm going to have such a star-studded domestic lineup that I'm going to be really tough to stop. So I think that's a big 
I think that's a big plus for me. Um, I do think that I can be really destructive in the batting department. Uh, I think the fact that I've got a four, a top four of right-handers and a next three of left-handers will look a bit confusing on paper, but on the assumption that they can move up and down quite freely, I think I have options there. I have really destructive hitters in Thompson and Whiteley and some really class players up top. And again, power up top of Besto as well. And then Garson and Howell add something at 7-8 as well. So I think that's good. Um, so yeah, I just think that domestic core and then the power, the raw power and the, the destructive young potential in my batting lineup, that's my big strength, I think. And lastly, before we wrap it up, what have you learned and what are your takeaways after having done this draft process? Is there anything now that you know about the drafts that you maybe didn't know before? And is there anything that maybe you've taken away from the whole process that you think is really interesting for you? For me, do not ignore your draft board, Ed. Do, do not just decide that, oh, God, I'm going to panic because Lockie Ferguson wasn't there. Stick to your draft board. I should have taken Norhea over Ross Whiteley, and this would be much better if, if I hadn't. But I think the thing I would say about that is that if I was to do, if I was in charge, I was general manager of a side, you know, I probably would follow my draft board. But in this, I really wanted to prove to people, and a big part of this wasn't just trying to create the best side. I really want to prove to people that drafts can be done differently. I really wanted to embrace this tactic of attacking domestic talent, getting overseas players later, to show people that ultimately I think people are kind of misguided in how they approach drafts. I wanted to embrace this tactic. I wanted to go after it and kind of really show people, you know, you, you can do it differently. There are other options out there. So, yeah, what I learned was folly a draft board, pick on Rick Norhair because he's class. But, you know, I did embrace this tactic for a reason. And I think if I was a general manager, I would do things slightly differently. Although I don't think my first few picks would really change. I don't think many of my picks would change bar the Ross Whiteley one. So, so yeah, when we do eventually get the chance, Charlie, to be a general manager and say the 100 was redrafted, we were put in charge of a team. I would argue that at least for the first two picks, we should follow my strategy and then we can negotiate because I think the young talent that I got is a real trump card. And I think this Welsh fireside because of that can be really strong. You know what? I agree. And funnily enough, your strategy was actually meant to be my strategy, despite it not actually working out that way. But never mind. I think we're on the same page there. And I think that's a pretty good place to leave this episode. But thanks for listening to our redraft episode. Um, we've got plenty more of these available for you to listen. So do check it out. We're talking to all the general managers and getting their thoughts and opinions on what they've done and how they've drafted their team. So do check them out. They're very insightful listens. Until then, we'll see you next time. We've been the 100 Podcast. Thank you very much. See you later.